Welcome to the Beyond Fitness Podcast. This is your host, Cade Howell, and I just want to say thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the show. All righty, we are officially back. I took a short, what was supposed to be a short hiatus from podcasting. It turned out to be a little bit longer than anticipated. Uh, Things have just been kind of crazy over the past little while, as it has been for a lot of us, but I'm excited to really get back into podcasting, make it a big priority again. Um, really like coaching, family time, trying to raise our new dog, kind of had to put podcasting on the back burner a little bit. And yeah, if you hear a little barking in the background every once in a while, you'll have to bear with me. We have two wiener dogs now, and they just have funny personalities. If they hear a tiny little noise, the world is ending and they just have to go crazy. So bear with me there. Um, But we're kicking the podcast off again with an awesome episode with the one and only Jordan Syatt. If you're in the fitness space at all, you probably know of or have at least heard of Jordan. He's really big in the industry. Um, He was Gary V's personal trainer actually for a while. So that shows you how big he is in the industry. Um, And we have a really awesome discussion today. We're going over balancing fitness and parenting and and life. Jordan's a relatively new dad. And so we're going to talk about how he's balancing all that. Also kids nutrition, how he's balancing, making sure his kid is eating healthy, but also there's flexibility. There's just how we want to treat our own diet, you know, not forcing healthy food on our kids all the time, but making sure they're getting in all the nutrients and things that they need for their overall health. And then we're going to talk about how we can really focus on our relationship with food and develop a good healthy relationship with food, which leads into sustainability and making sure that this whole fitness and nutrition thing lasts for the rest of our lives. It's not just a a temporary kick that we get on. So it's it's going to be a really awesome conversation. I hope you enjoy it and get as much out of it as I did. So without further ado, enjoy this episode with Jordan Syatt. Yeah, just for anyone listening that doesn't know exactly who you are, which I imagine a lot of people will because you're you're big in the industry. Um, and anyone that doesn't know who you are, they're definitely missing out. Could you just give us like a quick little backstory? Like you mentioned, you know, you started posting content back in 2011. What actually like got you into fitness in the first place? Yeah, so I'm a I'm a short, bald Jewish guy. I like <laughs> fitness and helping people improve their relationship with food and health. And uh, you know, so I come from a very like short like unathletic Jewish family. And my mom wanted my brother and I to be able to defend ourselves. Um, so she walked in the living room one day when, when I was eight years old and she was like, I'm going to put you two in wrestling. Cause you know, we're like the small Jewish kids in school and like not really a very Jewish town. And she was like, wanted us to be able to protect ourselves if we needed to. And the only wrestling that I knew when I was eight years old was WWF style wrestling. So I remember looking at her from the couch being like, you want me to hit someone with a chair? And she was like, no, you idiot, like Olympic style wrestling, which I had no idea what that was, but she put us into that. And, um, I fell in love with it, bro. I was, I was obsessed. Like I loved it. I was a terrible student. I was, I was the black sheep in the family in terms of everyone in my family is doctors and lawyers and professors and all this stuff. And I was just terrible in school, but I loved athletics and sports. And I really fell in love with wrestling. And so 
from eight years old. By the time I got to high school as a freshman, I made varsity. So I beat a junior out for the varsity spot. And um, I was good from a technique and an endurance perspective at 14. But since I was mainly going against like 17, 18 year old kids on varsity, my strength wasn't where it needed to be. So I grew up in a town outside Boston, Massachusetts. So I I wrote to a gym in a town called Newton, Massachusetts. I said, listen, I'll take the trash out. I'll clean the floor. I just want to learn from you, get stronger, figure out how this whole strength thing works. And I was very fortunate because they took me under their wing and they were also very science-based. And so from 14 years old, I started working at this gym and that was it. Ever since then, I, I just knew I wanted to coach people. I wanted to do strength and conditioning. I fell in love with it and it's the only job I've ever had. I've just been a coach ever since I was 14. That's awesome. And you. I know you got really into powerlifting for a while, mm. which I think it's really cool. Like you, you don't have the typical story of like, you know, you're a hardcore power lifter. And then now it's like, you kind of talk to more of like the average Joe and like the sustainability side of things. Like what led to that kind of switch where you're, you're kind of into the like lifting heavy weights, you know, that hardcore side of things into like helping just the average person, not necessarily deadlift as much as possible, but, you know, just have a healthy relationship with food and, you know, live just a healthy lifestyle in general. Yeah. So powerlifting was huge when I was really getting into the industry. Powerlifting was like the thing to do. And I got into that and I, uh, I got really obsessed with deadlifting four times my body weight. So I got really into competitive powerlifting and I wanted to deadlift four times my body weight. And eventually I did, it took a long time, but one of very few people to do that. And in my mind, I was like, I'm only going to coach powerlifters. That's what I thought. I was like, I'm only going to coach like big, sweaty, hairy dudes who want (laughs) to lift as much weight as possible. And it was an interesting timing thing because right around the time that I was reaching my peak in powerlifting and deadlifting and all of that, women in powerlifting started to grow a lot. And like women started to do more strength training and started to do more powerlifting and women wanted to get stronger but they didn't want to get big and bulky. Like they didn't want to look huge. They didn't want to like get big and fat. Like a lot of the guys were doing in order to lift as much weight as possible. And I was 132 pounds deadlifting over 500 pounds. So I was a small dude lifting a fuck ton of weight. And they were like, I want to do that. Like this guy, he's not big and jacked. Like all these like things that to me, like hit my soul. I was like, Oh, he's, he's not big and jacked. I was like, Oh, I want to be well, like, they're like, this guy's <laughs> not big is. and jacked and and he's so strong and I want to work with him. So right from the very beginning, I started working with a lot of women who wanted to get really strong, but didn't want to get really big and bulky. And so through doing that, I started to work with like, all right, cool. How do we get you stronger without getting you bigger and bulkier? And then all as a natural cause of that, it's like, cool. How do we keep track of your nutrition? Let's work on that. And, and I noticed all of these women that I was working with, they had real issues with food. They had issues with food, their relationships with food. They had issues with like anxiety around food. Uh, and so it was sort of a natural transition. And then as I progressed in powerlifting, after I deadlifted four times my body weight and I had burned out from the sport, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like I'm tired of it. It's it's, and I was watching 30, 40, 50 year old powerlifters dropping dead from heart attacks and and all this stuff. And I was like, this is just not, not what I want to do. So I transitioned into more of a lifestyle, sustainable, enjoyable type of, of content, which led to more, frankly, more women reaching out to me who wanted to, you know, get stronger and be more fit. Um, about 75 to 85% of my clients are women. 
and a smaller percentage are men and who also have similar goals. They want to get stronger, be more fit. But I grew up uh, in like my, my mom was the one who raised me. And I really think that one of the reasons I resonate more with women is because, you know, I interacted with my mom and my mom isn't the most in shape person. She's not the healthiest person. And I think a lot of what I do is because like I interact with people the way I interact with them because it's how I interact with my mom. And I want my mom to be healthier. I want my mom to be stronger. I want my mom to do this. So I think that it sort of naturally comes out like that's the person that I interact with the most. And that's like the voice that I have that that uh, catches the attention of of women between 25 to 70 years old is my average client. That's that's quite the range for an average client. I think yeah. that's, that's awesome, especially when, like you said, you got into this originally to help, you know, big, sweaty, hairy guys get, you know, stronger. You know, I think it's really cool how that literally completely flopped 180 degrees and it's obviously mm-hmm. worked out really well. And I imagine, you know, this way you've been able to help thousands of more people than, you know, if you would have gone the route of just like helping Correct. people get as strong as possible. So I think, I think that's really, really cool and can be a big motivation for a lot of people. Cause I, I do think a lot of people, including myself get into fitness, like to get jacked because like, you know, that's, that's like, what is sexy as you get into things. It's like, Oh, I just want to get jacked. But then it turns into something that's like a lot, a lot more than just surface level like that. And it yeah. seems like that's really how your journey went. So I think, I think that's awesome. And another um, thing I wanted to talk about is you're a new dad. Well, relatively new. Yeah. Right? Yeah. How old is old Abe you call her? <laughs> Yeah, she's uh she's almost five months. So what's today is the nineteenth. On the twenty seventh, she'll be five months. It's crazy. It's absolutely yeah. insane. I I must have missed something with the inside joke of her name being Old Abe. What what's the backstory behind? All yeah, that? so so she's named after my great grandfather Abraham. And when I said that on social media, there were a shocking number of people who said isn't Abraham a weird name for a girl? And I said, no, no, like she's named after Abraham. Like that's not her name. Like she's just, that's like who she's named after. So because so many people thought that that meant that like her name was actually Abraham, I just call her old Abe now. And like, that's become her nickname and people have sent t-shirts like with old Abe on it for her and all of that. So that's her, her social media name. That's good. I'm sure she's going to love that when she's like 16, 17, yeah. <laughs> just, just being called old Abe still. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. She'll thank, she'll thank dad for that one. That's, um, that's one of the reasons why like we wanted to keep her name private though, is because at least this way she will have her identity to herself. Whereas if we were giving her name out publicly, you know, she wouldn't have that opportunity to, to remain private if she wanted to. So that's one of the reasons why like my wife doesn't give out her name publicly. And I, I don't share her name. We don't share my daughter's name just because it's, it's up to them. And right now she's a baby and she's too young to, to make that decision. So I want to give her that opportunity to say, listen, if you want to share your name publicly, I will, but for now, let's keep it private until you can make that decision on your own. Yeah. I think that's smart that you think about that stuff in advance because I don't think a lot of people would do that. They would just nonchalantly, mm-hmm. you know, tag their girlfriend or, you know, because she was your girlfriend at the time when you probably started yeah. like, sharing on social media. But well, we you- started by sharing her name. We started by doing oh, really? that because my account wasn't my account wasn't very big at that point. And so we started sharing her name. And then as my account started to grow, she got some weird fucking messages from people. And like it was just like 
then she was like, Hey, I don't, then she decided to make her Instagram private and change her. Like we just decided, all right, now we're no longer going to use her name, which yeah. ironically, like some people get offended by They're Like, why don't you share her name? And it's like, why the fuck do you care? Like, yeah. it's it, why, why is it such a big deal to you? It's like, she doesn't want to share her name for privacy. Like let her not share her name. It's not a big deal. Yeah. I know people are always asking about what she does for work too. And you, <laughs> you're always like making shit up that just, it cracks. Yeah. What? Yeah. Just under underwater pizza <laughs> delivery service. Like yeah. yeah. All underwater chess player or extreme ironing on a mountain, like all these <laughs> random jobs that, that just come up with the most ridiculous stuff. And people like actually believe it sometimes. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh like, yeah. I remember it. the one that, the one that people believe the most was there were two the first one was i said that she makes uniforms for sumo wrestlers so like you know like the thing that like sumo wrestlers wear like the it looks Whatever like a diaper i was is. like yeah i was like she makes she's like the world-renowned sumo wrestler like uniform maker and people were like oh my god that's so cool how'd she get into that <laughs> and the other one was an iceberg mover where like she like go, gets on a tugboat and will like like move icebergs to make it the the ocean more navigation more like navigatable for for ships and like people actually believe it it's, it's hilarious which like if you're new to my page like I've, I get it like I get why you'd probably believe it but it is funny to see how many people like really fall for that stuff no that that cracks me up and I yeah I just love your sense of humor because that I feel like some people don't think that stuff's funny like they wouldn't get it but I don't know I think that's just like that cracks me up a lot. I think that's, that's awesome. Um, so yeah, with like becoming a new dad, how has that shifted things for you? Like just in, in general, obviously, you know, like you probably have a way different outlook on life or has it changed much that way? Um, not really in terms of outlook on life. I mean, as soon as I found out my wife was pregnant, I just immediately fell in love with my daughter before I even knew it was a girl. Like I was just like, that's it. Like I, I wanted to be a dad my whole life. I was just my whole life ever since I was a kid, I knew I wanted to be a dad. So a lot of the stuff that I've done has been in preparation for that. Even things like doing jujitsu and learning how to shoot and learning how to protect my family has all been done in preparation to make sure I know how to protect my family and protect my kids. So, um, all that stuff and staying physically fit and capable, even for things like, like, um, moving her toys around. Like she has this, this like jumper thing right now. Should we put her in it and she'll like jump around in it? Like it's not light. Like it's, it's heavy stuff and awkwardly built and like picking it up and moving it around the apartment. It's like, thank God I'm fit. And thank God I'm strong. Like I could very like, Oh, you know, what's actually really crazy is her car seat. Putting a car seat with a baby inside of it is like not easy to do inside. Like you, f I feel it in my back. Like, and I, I know many people who've pulled their back out doing that and need to go on bed rest. It's like, thank God I'm physically fit and strong and capable to do that. And so much of what I've done throughout my life has been specifically to prepare for this time in my life. So none of that has really changed my perspective on life in general. Um, but the amount of love that I have in my heart is just, it's like, it's exploding at all times. It's unbelievable. Like that's the thing that I was surprised the most about is I knew I always wanted to be a dad. I had no idea how much love you could possibly have for someone until 
you see your child. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I have a almost five-year-old boy. He'll actually be five and oh, less, congrats, man. Yeah. Less than a month, which is insane because yeah, like, I don't know, five years, it's a, it flies by, you know, like <laughs> I'm sure the last five months have flown by, you know, and I'm, I'm yeah. a lot younger than you, but yeah, this, I don't know. It's, it's completely, it happened at a point in my life where I wasn't planning for a kid or anything like it was completely off the radar and it just kind of happened. And so it like really forced me to grow up and like become a man. And like, that's originally like what got me, I don't know, on the, on the path that I'm on and I'm super grateful for that. So I think it's, yeah, it's different when, cause you had been like planning for this, you yes. know, it's something that you had wanted to do for a while. And then now is it like, how do you work around, you know, like when you're working, cause you work from home, right. Mm-hmm. And like, you have your daughter there. Is that super hard to manage that? Like, how do you, how do you set time into work, but also being a dad? Cause that's one thing I struggle with. Cause like, I just want to go play with my son. Like it snowed last night. I want to go build a snowman with him. I don't want to you know, right. work right now. You know, how do you manage that? It's tough. It's really tough. Um, I think the biggest thing that I've done is I've, I've changed my schedule to allow for the maximum amount of time with her. So basically that means working more at night and working like my, my workouts are now at like nine or 10 PM, um, which is not ideal for me, but it's I the most ideal in this situation where it's like, I know I have to work out and playing with my daughter and being with my wife is non-negotiable. Like I have to do that as well. And I also have to work. So I know for a fact, like if I don't get my work done and I don't hang up my wife, like I, I need to get all this stuff done. So the way I'm going to work out is the only time that I can do it is at like 10 PM or, or like 4 AM. And there's no fucking way I'm doing it at 4 AM. <laughs> like there's no way. So yeah. I would obviously rather not do it at 10 PM, but we've got to make sacrifices in life. So like, that's what I do. And I'll do, I'll do work at 10 PM, 11 PM, 12 AM, sometimes as, as, as early or late as 1am. Um, and that's what I do. You know, it's like, it's, it's not fun. I'll sacrifice some aspects of my life. I'll sacrifice some sleep or I'll sacrifice some, uh, some different things to make sure that I can get the time into my family. It's like, you just got to fucking do what you got to do. And a lot of people ask, well, how do you still stay fit? Like when you have a newborn baby and all this stuff, it's like, well, I get my workouts in. I still focus on my nutrition. It it adds more time and stress and it's more difficult, but I know that the negatives of not doing it would be way worse in the long run. So yeah. it has to get done. Yeah. And I think it, I don't know. I, I feel for the people that, you know, have to actually like go into an office and work and oh, put in, you know, like a bro. nine to five, it's insane. You know, when you think about it and then they're trying to like, start this fitness journey and get into everything. And they have a family too. They're trying to balance all that. It's like, man, we have it pretty easy where like we can work from home and like, yeah, it's just so much more flexibility. I was talking to my wife about this last night. I was like, I couldn't imagine only seeing my daughter early in the morning. And then again, late at night, like the fact that I can see her at any point throughout the day and I can Mm -hmm. just go upstairs and just hang out with her or, like I have so I have so much freedom based on on my career. It's like, thank God, it, it's completely different if you 
have to go into the office or what, like commute to whatever it is. Like it's, it's way easier the way we have it. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, I don't know, I, I can sometimes look at it as like, oh man, you know, this is more of, I don't know, it feels bad saying it, but like a negative thing at times, because it's like, I feel like I'm always distracted going back and forth from all of these things. And like, sometimes I'm like, oh, it would be nice to like go into work somewhere and have the the work life separation. But I think that's all like perspective, you know, and you have to zoom out and think like, wow, you know, we are super lucky to, to be able to work from, I think a lot of people, you know, obviously a lot more people work from home nowadays. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of yeah. other people are in a similar boat, but yeah, people that have to go out to work and then juggle everything else. Like I, I feel for them. It makes things a lot more challenging for sure. And to be your own boss and you, you make your own schedule. Like you don't have yeah. to do, you know, zoom meetings with a, with someone that you don't want to, or you're, you're not your boss. Hey, I need you here at this time. Like it's like, no, it's like, you get to decide when you do stuff and how you do stuff. It's there are pros and cons. Like it's, 100%. when you run your own business, like you're never off. You're always on no matter what, when you run your own business, I don't care if it's a Sunday at, at 2 PM, like something happens, you got a fire to put out. You put that fucking fire out. It's like, if you work a nine to five, you don't have to worry about that. Right. You can, yeah. you're off the clock. So there are pros and cons, but when you run your own business and, and you, you do your own thing, you have a, you're essentially paying for your own freedom with that extra responsibility. Yeah. That's a really good way to look at it. I think it does come down to just like, yeah, if you look at things in a positive way or, or negative way, because there's always going to be some positive to it. There's going to be some negative. And if you always yep. focus on the negative, you know, you're going to be pretty miserable. So it's a good fact. Yeah. I'm curious about like with your daughter's nutrition, how have you thought, I'm sure you've thought about this obviously like Mm -hmm. her growing up like how are you gonna manage that are you gonna like be pretty strict with her nutrition or is it gonna be kind of like let her eat what she wants to eat so she like is able to have like treat her kind of like you would a client where it's like you want to have flexibility you don't want to be overly restrictive and just eat you know 100 clean all the time like it's all right to have some pizza here and there or whatever like have you thought about how you're gonna gonna manage that with your daughter specifically yeah. So I thought about it all the time. Think about yeah. it constantly. And I'll start by saying like, I think as parents, we often think our kids are going to be just like us. That's not how it works. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like, I'm very different than both of my parents, like very different. And so is my brother. Um, I know that my daughter is a unique individual. She is, she is who she is, regardless of who I am or the knowledge that I have or what my wife is like, my daughter's unique. And I could have all of the the best nutrition knowledge and mental health knowledge, and she could still develop disordered relationships with food, right? It's like, it's, it's, it's not all in my control. There's so mm-hmm. many things outside of my control, social media, people at school, uh, constant she's consuming, like just her own mental health. Like there's so many things outside of my control. So I think first and foremost, I always like, and people have asked me this before. It's like, I will do my absolute best, but she is who she is. My mom says something people ask, people will say things to my mom. She'll, they'll be like, Oh, congrats on Jordan's success. Da, da, da. And she's like, don't say congrats to me. Say congrats to him. She's like, I don't take credit for it. And, and people say, why, why don't you take credit? You raised him. And she was like, well, if he fucks up, I'm not taking credit for that. <laughs> so like, it's, it's, it's one of those things where 
the kid is who they are and you can influence them and you can, you can provide structure for them and, and do your best to provide an opportunity for them to grow and to learn and to be a better human, but they are who they are. And I think that's, that's a big part of it. Um, my wife and I, my wife has the healthiest relationship with food of anybody I've ever met in my life. Cause I was my, making some really bomb ass looking salads. That's what I, <laughs> what I, I think the people have the healthiest relationship with the food are the people who don't think about food but still manage to eat in a very like nutritious, healthy way. But like, they're not overthinking the portions. They're not overthinking. Like she, she's a true intuitive eater, truly. Like she's truly like, she stops when she's full. She eats when she's hungry. She nourishes herself with great high quality food. And if she wants a treat, she has it without any guilt. She is like the picturesque, like classic, great relationship with food, which is very rare nowadays. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have pizza, uh, like once a week and we have pie and like, she'll bake bread and all like that. Like, so she'll do all that. But the 90% of our food is super high quality, very nutrient dense. And we'll have occasional treats. Um, I fucking love pretzels, for example. So I have pretzels like every night and all of that stuff. So we have a pantry full of pretzels and all that. Um, with my daughter, I think the best thing you can do with your kid is probably to just show them, like be a good example of what a healthy relationship with food looks like, or a healthy relationship with exercise looks like, or a healthy relationship with your spouse looks like. Just be a good example. Talk the talk and walk the walk. Um, so if my daughter's like, hey, let's go get pizza, you better believe I'll go get pizza with my daughter. I think what would be worse is if I said, no, we can't get pizza because it's bad. Or if I was like, okay, cool, let's go get pizza. We're going to have it where it's going to be a treat. We're not going to have it for another two weeks. Then I binge and have a whole pizza. Those would be two bad things to do because it show it, it's making it seem like pizza is bad. You can't ever have it. If you do have it, you're a failure. Whereas if you can go have it, have a slice or two, sit down and then get back right back on track, like it's no big deal. That's showing a healthy relationship with food. So it won't be overly strict, but it won't be overly lax. It will be like the vast majority of food in our household will be exactly as it is now, like very nutritious, lots of fruits and vegetables and lean proteins and all of that. But we'll also have snacks available. Um, I'm sure I will learn way more as she grows and and I and she sees what her friends are doing and what's going on social media and we'll have lots of conversations around it. But uh I think the best thing I can do is be a, a walking, talking example of what I think e exemplifies a healthy relationship with food so that she can grow up with that knowledge in front of her. Yeah. I think that's really smart that you first recognize that it is outside of your control. Like mm -hmm. you aren't going to be able to completely control her relationship with food as she gets older, but you definitely have a big role in that, you know, like you can mm -hmm. definitely influence it for sure. And I think you you go about it the right way with, you know, having that balance, you know, and like, like you said, being, being the example is a, the biggest thing that you can do. In my opinion, I'm curious, what do you think about like having things as a reward? So like my son, for example, he's into like basketball, like just little sports right now. Like he's had T-ball football, like little flag football, stuff like that. And like afterwards, we'll go get like some ice cream. Do you think it's good yeah. to have like rewards like that? Like a hundred percent is. Yeah. I know a lot of people have hated that. Like, you know, you don't like need to reward yourself. It's like, it's, it's a treat. Absolutely. It's like, if you sit on your ass all day, I'm not going to get you some ice cream. Like, <laughs> it's like, if you go and played an amazing game and you worked really hard or 
who knows, maybe you studied your ass off for an exam. And like, I saw you work super hard and you went to get extra help with the teacher. Yeah, let's go get some ice cream. I want to reward you with that. It's like, there's nothing wrong with using it as a reward. It doesn't mean that like, you can't have it other times, but it does mean that like, hey, if if you you worked really, really hard, I want to show you a reward for that. I want to give you something. It's like, what am I going to give you a hundred bucks? Like, like, no matter like... It, then the the argument could be made that you'll have a bad relationship with money because of like that. It's like, there's nothing wrong with rewarding someone with one of their favorite foods or treats or whatever it is for a, a job well done in something. So yeah, I think that's a great idea. And, and also, you know, generally speaking, if you are working out and, and moving your body, you're going to be able to eat more. So it's like, yeah, like if we exercise and we work really hard, our body needs more fuel in order to function properly. So I'm more than happy to take you out to reward you with this, this higher calorie treat. And, and you know that if we have a day where we just sit on our ass and do nothing, we haven't earned this treat yet. So there's no need to have it. Yeah, no, I, I agree hundred percent. Cause I think a lot of people can overthink that where it's like, and I've mm. even thought about it, you know, myself of like, do we really want to have something that could be, you know, used unhealthily, like if you overdo it as like a reward, you know, but then anything could be that any, any reward you could overdo vacation money, any of that. It's like at what, where does this end? It it never stops. Yeah, exactly. Now that makes, makes a lot of sense. And I, I agree. So when it comes to like people's relationship with food, how, how do you go about the process of helping? I know this is a very like, there's a lot to this question, but like, how, how do you start when it comes to helping someone fix their relationship with food and just developing, like, is it always, you know, start with building awareness and like tracking calories? I know that's probably not the approach you take, but like, how do you, how do you go about that typically? And I'm sure it depends on the person, but yeah, yeah. What's your, so it always does depend. But the first thing that I think someone has to understand is there's no such thing as a good food or a bad food. That that has to be understood. I think that's the base foundation because if you're operating from the perspective of there are good foods and bad foods, you can't have a healthy relationship with food. No matter what you do, no matter what knowledge you gain, no matter what practices you learn, if you're operating from the the ideology of good foods and bad foods, then you will always feel bad for eating a certain food. You'll always be negative. Uh, There'll be guilt. There'll be shame. There'll be fear. There'll be anxiety. Anytime you have a quote unquote bad food. So you have to eliminate that thought process from the very beginning, which can be very difficult depending on who you're working with and what they've been taught, taught and what they were brought up with. So I think the first step is understanding that food is food. And I don't care if it's a Twinkie or if it's an apple one food is not good and one food is not bad. There is food that is uh, more nutritious. There are foods that are more nutrient dense than other foods. That's for sure. There's nothing wrong with saying that. But if you decide to have a Twinkie, you shouldn't feel guilty about it. It's not a bad food. It's okay. It's just what happens next? What do you do after that? Do you have 12 more Twinkies because you feel guilty about it? Or do you enjoy that one Twinkie and then move on and get back on with your day? Like that's really what, helps sort of define uh, uh, the the foundation of a healthier relationship with food. If, if someone, if someone is at their daughter's birthday party and they, and there's pizza at their daughter's birthday party and they don't have pizza because they're scared of getting fat, that's not a healthy relationship with food. 
a lot of people will look at the person who's not having the pizza and they're having just the salad instead. And they say, oh God, you just have so much willpower. You're so good. It's like, no, no, that's not willpower. That person is legitimately scared that they will get fat if they have that slice of pizza. That's not willpower. That's fear. It's two very different things. If you're fearful of getting fat from having that and that fear is preventing you from enjoying a fucking slice of pizza at your daughter's birthday party, you do not have a healthy relationship with food. I think one of the greatest things in the last like two to five years that we've seen in culture is the the discussion around mental health and how mental health matters too. It's like it, not allowing yourself to have a treat out of a fear is not good mental health. So if we're looking at, you know, the wellness wheel and and health as a as a very broad term that doesn't just encompass physiological health but mental health, emotional health, all of that stuff. Well, we have to understand that your relationship with food is not just physical, it's also mental and emotional. So helping people understand there's no such thing as a good or bad food has to be the foundation of that relationship. Mhm. No, I I agree 100% cuz I think a lot of people do look at, you know, pizza as, oh, that's bad. I shouldn't be eating that. You know, that's a bad thing if I eat that, especially if they're, you know, trying to lose weight. Um, and they look at, you know, like vegetables as, oh, that's good. And like, yeah, there's definitely a big difference in the, you know, how, how nutrient dense one is and how calorically dense the other is, but it doesn't mean that one is good or bad. You know, I think one should make up the majority of your diet and the other you should still include, and just make sure that you have a, a good, healthy balance with it. So once you kind of address that, like, do you think it's good for people to like, how do you help people build awareness around that? Like if they're labeling something as good or bad, do you have them like practice? Like, Hey, I want you to go have a brownie tonight or something just to like get used to, you know, feeling like it's okay to have a brownie every once in a while. Do you, do you ever do anything like that? I have done that with people who have severe anxiety around food. I have for sure. Where, mm -hmm. especially if someone emails me a client is like, Hey, I'm going to a party tonight. And you know, like the super bowl, super bowl is always mm -hmm. a big one. Like, Oh my yeah. God, I'm going to super bowl party. I'm so nervous. I'm like the, the line that I'll, I'll often get is, uh, I'm panicking. Or like some people would be like emergency. They'll put emergency in the, in the subject line of like going to Super Bowl party. And, and I'll be like, listen, if someone's breaking into your house, that's an emergency. If, if like someone's having a heart attack, that's an emergency. If fire is spontaneously shooting out of your asshole, that is an emergency. You going to a Super Bowl party and there being food that you don't know what's going to be there. Like that is not an emergency. That is not something to panic over. So when you go to that Super Bowl party, I want you to go have some chicken wings and send me a picture of you eating chicken wings. I want you to go have a brownie. Send me a picture of you having a brownie. And I would have the client send me a picture or a video of them eating it. I'd be like, I want to see you doing it. And they're like, oh my God, that makes me so nervous. I'm like, good. That means you need to do it. If the idea of eating a brownie makes you nervous, then I need to see you eating a fucking brownie. And then we're going to get right back on track. You're going to hit your calories. You're going to be good. And what, what we're going to see what happens the next day. And they're going to be like, oh my God, the scale didn't change or the scale like went down or the scale, like, whatever, whatever happens with the scale. They're going to be like, oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, that's exactly right. Let's keep going. And so you, sometimes I would force them to do that. Sort of like you have um, a lot of people with uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. 
mm-hmm. if they go to like an uh, an inpatient therapy, a lot of times one thing that they'll have them do is they'll they'll like have them crack eggs and like have like the 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 sticky and like gooey eggs on their hands. And oftentimes that'll be like very disturbing for someone with OCD. They don't just tell them to avoid things that disturb them. They force them into these situations that give them anxiety, that make them uncomfortable because that's the only way you overcome it. It's like if you have OCD and you're, it's really uncomfortable for you to like have this like sticky gooey egg white on you. It's like, and then we're going to fucking crack eggs and make you feel that so that you can realize it's not a big deal. Like that's how you overcome fears. You face them. You don't ignore them. Mm-hmm. I think that's, yeah. A, a lot of people at first glance would be like, oh, a personal trainer or nutrition coach, like prescribing his client to go eat a brownie and like send a video of it or whatever. Like sounds funny. But then when you actually think about it, you're like, yeah, there's, it makes a lot of sense. You know, the only way to get around that fear or anxiety is to face it and see that, Hey, it's not the end of the world. If you have a brownie, you know? So I, I think that's really a really smart approach. And when it comes to like the sustainability side of things, you know, cause a lot of people talk about, you know, 90% of diets fail in the long run. Like a lot of people, you know, can lose weight, but then you regain it afterwards. What, what do you think are some of the most important things when it comes to actually sustaining fat loss in the long run? Well, don't even get me started on that statistic, which is bullshit. Like the whole 95% of diets fail, dude, I will go off on that shit. Um, here you go off. What, what's your, dude, Oh, I love getting in debates with people because they'll throw this statistic around. I'm like, can you show me the study that says that? Like, show me the study that actually says that. Number one, no one has ever been able to show me that study. There actually is a study that shows it, by the way, but they don't know where it know is. Like they, find it. Yeah. they don't know how to find it. They didn't actually, they just heard it from somebody. So there mm-hmm. is a study that said it's an old study. Now, this study that found that 95% of diets fail, I believe it was 100 people. I believe it was a hundred people. I'm not sure exactly. I need to go back and refresh, but they told people to massively restrict their diet, their nutrition. And then they just said, come back in X number of years and tell us how much you lost anybody. They didn't give them instructions. They didn't give them like, tell them, Hey, this is what you need to do. They didn't give them any support. It was like, just go like reduce your calories and that's it. Well, anybody who lost less than 40 pounds was deemed a failure, number one in a study. So if you had lost 38 pounds and kept 38 pounds off, that was deemed a failure in that study's eyes, which is like so stupid. It makes no sense. Um, So that's number one. Number two is there was no help. There was no support. And they they didn't actually follow the diets of these people. So you're, they're counting like detoxes and cleanses and keto and all this stupid shit. It's like, well, what if we look at diets of people who like moderately reduce calories, have consistent support along the way, have check-ins, have accountability. It's like, you're going to see a much higher success rate. Now I would say, even with that, there's probably about a 50% success rate, 50, like, which is not like amazing. 50% on an exam in school is still an F. Like it's not great. Like there's still a lot of improvement we can make in, in society and in the coaching world. But a 50% success rate is significantly better than 95% failure rate than a 5% success rate. Um, but if we just take people and hold them accountable and it provide ongoing support and give them a sustainable deficit, we see drastic improvements in overall uh, sustainability of diets. And that's really what I think is the most important is you need to find what is sustainable for you. 
And that changes for every single person. For some people, that's counting calories. For some people, that's intermittent fasting. For some people, that's keto. For some people, that's doing a more plant-based approach. For some people, like everyone has a different approach. You need to find what works for you. And the only way to do that is to try and fail and try and fail and try and fail and try. Failure isn't a bad thing. Failure isn't the end point in all of this. I recently just did a whole mini cut and people are like, oh my God, like you made that look so easy. You lost like 15 pounds in eight weeks. And like, it's like, well, yeah, I've, I've done this a million times. I know how to do it. It's not a big deal for me at this point. The first time that you do it, you're probably gonna fail. Same with the second time, same with the third time, same with the fourth time. It takes time. It's the first time you lose weight is probably not the last time you're going to lose weight. It takes time and effort and, and failing is a part of the learning process. That's how this all works. So I think you have to find what works for you. And the only way you will find what works for you is through trying and failing and try when someone says, Hey, what do you think of should I, when someone says, Hey, I think I should try keto. I'm not going to say, Hey, that's stupid. I'm going to say, cool, give it a shot. Let's see how it goes. And like four days later, like, yeah, never mind. This isn't good for me. Cool. So now we know. Now we know keto is not good for you. What's next? Let's try something else. And then we give it a shot. But the only way you're going to find out what works for you is through trial and error. I think that's awesome because a lot of people do just, especially coaches, they'll, you know, hate on keto or whatever it is. And I'm, you know, not a big fan myself, but it is worth, you know, people trying that because then, you know, best case scenario, it works out great. It is sustainable for them. They feel much better. They lose a ton of weight and actually sustain it in the long run. That's awesome. Worst case, they figure out, oh, I actually like carbs too much. You know, I need to find an approach that I can actually yes. eat carbs, you know? And so it's a failure is still a win, you know? So not I, to mention from like a psychology perspective, if someone says to me, Hey, I want to try keto. And I say, don't do that. That's, that's stupid. Immediately. They're going to be like, well, I'm going to prove you wrong. Like I'm going to do that. it anyway. Mm -hmm. But if I say like, yeah, go for it. That's awesome. Then they'll try it and they'll quickly realize it's probably not the best idea for them unless they have epilepsy or severe insulin resistance or something like that. In which case it might be a good option for them at that point in time. But for most people, it's, it's not a good fit. Yeah. But it can be worth trying, like you said. So yeah, you know that hundred percent. Yeah, you know either way, right or wrong. Dude, I've tried so much stupid shit throughout my career. Like, and that's how I've learned the most. I've tried that's how we learn when we're kids. We do stupid shit. We toe the line, we try things. Oh, you know what? That didn't go the way I wanted. I'll try something else. We learn what works and what doesn't work in life through trying things. And when an adult smiles and has like that, like that funny look where like, oh yeah, I've done stupid things like that before. It's like, yeah, because, and you learn from it and it usually creates a fond memory, assuming it doesn't kill you, like creates a fond <laughs> memory, or like you can reminisce on and it teaches you something like that's how we learn. Yeah. I love that. I think that's a really, really good thing that a lot of people need to hear, including myself, because it's not just, you know, and fitness, it's in every area of life, you know, whether that's business or, you know, family, whatever it is, like failing is, is a good thing. And I, it's like a big cliche, but, and it's easy to kind of like overlook that like, yeah, you know, it's, it's not bad to fail, but when you really think about it, like that's how you learn, you know? So yeah. I, I like that a lot. So the last thing I wanted to ask you about was your book that came out fairly recently. Mm. When, when did that come out exactly? It's been couple months uh june june 6th or june 7th was the publication date i believe yeah so yeah a little over six six months yeah i have a copy right here actually let's see something along those lines yeah yeah that's what led to like wanting to write a book is that something you've always wanted to do 
Yeah. You know, I think there are a couple of things. The first one is um, I've always wanted to make the the knowledge that I have like affordable for everybody. And so to have all of my knowledge in this case, specifically around developing a healthy relationship with food available for depending on what Amazon or the bookstores, Barnes and Noble, whatever they make it between 15 to 24 bucks. Like that's great. You have literally everything you need to know and all of my knowledge in that one book. So that was uh, one of the major reasons. And the other one is ego. I think uh, a huge part of, you know, wanting to have your book in a bookstore is ego. Like, yeah. I published a book. It's like to say, yeah, I published a book, right. Um, national bestseller, obviously like it was great. Um, and I'm very grateful. I don't think I'll ever write another book again. Like the ego part was fulfilled and, and people have had a great response to it. It's been wonderful, but bro, writing a book was a shit show. Like it was, it was brutal. It's brutal. And it's like, it's not even that long of a book. Like this is, it's what it's, it's, uh, it's like 200 pages, a little bit more than 200 pages. Like it's not that long of a book, but it's fucking brutal. So unless they offer an insane amount of money for the next one, I, I won't do it just because I'm like, no, yeah. not worth it. <laughs> no, I've I've heard really good things. I got to admit, I haven't picked it up and read it myself, but I am committed to to doing that. I think it'll because I've heard really, really awesome things. So I'm going to go on Amazon Thank and, you. and order I'm sure it. you know everything in the book. Like, I doubt you'll learn anything from well, it. Well, that's that's the thing, though, is you can always like you can learn and get refreshed on a lot of things and just, you mm. know, yeah, I, th- I think it would be a definitely a positive. So where can people find that on Amazon or yeah. Amazon Barnes and Noble, like all the bookstores. Yeah. It's anywhere. Cool. Right. On. And I did uh, my, my co-author and I, we actually recorded the audiobook ourselves. So it is our voices when we did that, which that was right also on. brutal by the way, I bet, like I bet recording an audio. It was funny. Like we were both so glad that we split it 50, 50. Cause if we both had to read the whole book, like, Oh my God, dude, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> you go into like a studio and have to record. Yeah. It there. You go into a studio, record it there. Um, it's a lot. I would be day. like fumbling on my words and have to reread everything like 50 times. Yeah, and <laughs> they have, they have a team of people there who are listening to you do it as well. And like, if, if one of them doesn't like the tone that you use, it doesn't, never mind like mm. misreading it or fumbling. Like, even if you like use the wrong tone, like, nope, read that over. Nope. Read that over. No, nope, it's like, it's, it's a long and like because we both read half the book, I got it done in about eight hours. Like one day I did it. But if I had to do the whole book, it would have been two to three days of like a lot. It's it's a lot. But that's draining too. Just yeah, even doing like a podcast can be draining. So I imagine like yeah. eight hours of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's like you just spent a year and a half writing it. And now you have to read the whole thing. <laughs> it's, yeah. like, it's it's a lot. And you also have to change it because so like in the book, you say things like as you're reading this section, but like if you say as you're like at instead of saying reading, you're like as you're listening, listening. to this section, like see there's things you have to change as you go along. Just switch it up a little bit. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. I, I didn't know you had the um audio version. So I might have to pick that up and give it a listen. I like listening to books because it's a lot easier to do than listening to books is great for me if it's like a story-based book if it's Mm. a book where i have to really comprehend and really like understand and visualize i have to have the hard copy Mm. i can't if it's like a more of a science-based book i can't i can't listen to the audio because i will tune out i will not fully but if it's like um 
I believe there's a book, I think the title is Rise of the Summer Moon, really great book or about Native American Indian history. Um, I love stories like that, or even like World War II novels, things like that. I love that stuff mm-hmm. on, on audiobook. There's also a great one. Have you read Red Notice? Uh-uh. Really famous book about this guy like escaping uh, Vladimir Putin and a lot of these Russian oligarchs who were trying to kill him because he was exposing a lot of the stuff that they were doing illegally in mm-hmm. terms of stocks and whatnot. That stuff I love because I can listen to it while I do cardio or while I'm driving or whatever. And I it's like I get really sucked into the story. But mm-hmm. if it's a science-based or numbers-based and I need to see the images, it's like, no, I, I, yeah. I need that. I need the book. Yeah. No, it definitely depends on the book. There's some that like I can listen to i like how i can get through the information quicker like than sitting down and reading but i also feel like a lot of books i retain the information better sitting down and and reading it so my last question is where can people find you or reach out to you yeah man i have my own podcast jordan site mini podcast youtube instagram if you put my name into google you'll find me on every platform yeah Right on. So not really one place in particular, but maybe buy the book, listen to the podcast. Uh, your Instagram is great. So yeah, I urge everyone to to reach out and yeah, follow along to what you put out because it's amazing stuff. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. Thank you again for tuning in and listening. I really hope you guys enjoyed that episode. And if you did, take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram story, and tag me at Howell underscore fit, and leave the podcast a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions about coaching or need advice on anything training or nutrition related, shoot me an email at the email linked in the description, and I will talk to you guys soon.